team. It is so good to see you here this morning. I, uh, I want to just say a quick word of thanks to these guys. They have been hard at it this week. Um, they practiced a, a lot to get ready for our worship night on Friday night. We were here for about an hour and 30, hour and 40 minutes just singing and praising and praying together, rejoicing in what God is doing. And then they turned around and were back here this morning early. Uh, while many of you were shoveling your driveways, they were here preparing and getting ready. So thank you guys for your work. We appreciate all that you do. It was an amazing time on Friday evening. Uh, we have a tentative date for the next one uh, sometime in May, so we'll let you know when that's coming. But uh, if, the, if the Lord gives you the opportunity to be there, you need to be there. It was a lot of fun. So good to see you here. Uh, those of you who were able to make it out this morning, I love snow and all things winter, right? So good times. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started to roll out a fun challenge for us this year. Um, we, we talked about uh, on the 5th of January what we were looking forward to in 2020. And we, we called the challenge simply 20 because we're really clever here uh, the coming year. And it consists of three small challenges, right? The church-wide initiative that consists really of three small challenges for each person or each family in our church to participate in. Maybe you'll remember the challenge, right? It was 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. So if, if you were not in the habit of a consistent Bible reading, this was a great way for you to jump in. Give 20 minutes a day. Read a chapter a day with us. Uh, we're coordinating through a reading uh, plan on the Bible app. It's called the Daily New Testament. And you can re read one chapter a day. We said, give us, give us 20 minutes to read the Bible, to ponder and pray about what God is saying to you, to pray for who God lays on your heart, and then share with somebody what you're learning. 20 minutes a day. Guys, this first week has been really fun to see. A lot of you are reaching out, letting us know that, that it was a, uh, an attainable goal to set this week, and you've had a great time just getting that rhythm established. I know we're only one week in. We've got a lot, of, a lot of year left in front of us, but I want to encourage you to keep going. It has been it was so fun to watch and see how God is moving in your life and revealing to you who he is through your Bible study, and then watching as you're sharing that with your brothers and sisters. So thank you for that. Keep up the good work. If you've not jumped in yet, you can jump in with us today. Uh, we, we handed out information last week on that. Just go to the Bible app and look for the Daily New Testament reading plan, quarter one, and jump right in. Um, we'd, we'd love to have your participation. So that was a challenge. 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible reading, $20 a month more. We're asking each family or each person who gives to the church to consider $20 more each month so that we can give $20,000 away to our community. Right? We, we're expecting more than $20,000 to come in, but we wanna, we've said right up front, we're going to make a statement with this, that we're going to first spend this money in, in investing in gospel partnerships and in places where we can make a difference in the community first. We'll trust that God will meet our needs on the backside of that. But we are, we're, that's the challenge, and we're going to talk about that today. And then also, we said there was 20 people. We're going to challenge each family, each person in the church to pray for to engage in conversation and invite with you 20 people over the course of the year. Some of you are already starting. Good job. Good work. Begin to work on that. We'll talk more about that next week. But that's our, our, our challenge. 20 minutes, $20, 20 people. And what we said over the last couple of weeks is we're, we're confident that this is a way that God will build and strengthen and grow his people. Because these are places where he's already working. Places where he's already involved. He speaks to us through his word. It's a good thing to invest more time in his word. 
He calls us to hold loosely to the things of this world, to store up treasures in heaven, so it's good for us to give. He's called us to be salt and light, ambassadors for his kingdom here in this earth. It's good for us to engage our neighbors in gospel conversation. I believe that when we, when we work where he's already promised to be working, we can count on seeing his work in our lives and in our church. So last week we kicked that off and, uh, with a Bible reading and prayer. And so if you haven't jumped in, jump in. Keep up the good work if you are. Today we're going to talk about the second leg of that challenge, which is that $20 extra each month for the coming year. Now, I've, I've said it as clear as I can. I want, to, I want to say it a couple more times today just so everybody understands exactly what's going on with that. Our plan in receiving those extra funds is to give that first $20,000 away to local ministries and organizations, right? Anything that comes in beyond that, we will apply to needs here in the church. We do have some needs. We, want to, we need a new roof. We need a new parking lot. We'd like to see a, a renovation of this building. A lot of really costly needs. But the first thing we're going to do is give and trust that God will respond to our needs in time. This week's challenge, though, as the more I thought about it, really wasn't about just $20. The challenge this week is about a bigger picture of God's um, theme of stewardship in the scriptures. The, the challenge isn't just a $20 bill each month. The challenge today is who really owns the stuff at my disposal? So what I'd like to do today is I want to revisit a popular New Testament passage about giving and stewardship and kind of frame our challenge in that light. And then we'll move on to the specifics of our challenge in that as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going today. And we're going to work today to discern some good giving principles from the Apostle Paul. Things that should be guiding us. Things that will help us in deciding and determining what God is calling us to give and how he's calling us to invest in the lives of other people and in the church itself. All right. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpa their surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. All right, a bit of a background here. The Corinthian church to whom Paul is writing is no stranger to generosity. They're also no stranger to being jacked up. They were a messed up group of people. 
But God was moving in their midst, forming them and sanctifying them and transforming them. And one of the, one of the things about them is that they had committed to be very generous. Their readiness, their eagerness in serving through giving is documented in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9. In fact, so generous were these Christian or Corinthian believers in their commitments that they had become a source of boasting for Paul. He was using them as an example to other churches saying, well, do you know the Corinthians have committed this much to the offering for the church in Jerusalem? Maybe you could as well match their generosity. He's using them as a sign and a testimony to the goodness of God and using them as an example because of their generosity. And he's confident that these Corinthian believers are going to finish what they started, what they committed to, that they'll be faithful in. And like in true Paul fashion, even though he's confident, he's still sending the brothers to come get the money. Right? I'm confident you'll get it. Nevertheless, the brothers are coming to receive the offering. Sometimes we make commitments and we just need a little reminder of the commitments we've made. So that being said, as we watch Paul talk about this Corinthian church, and specifically he's talking about a specific offering for the church in Jerusalem that is in need, but here are some principles that we can draw from this area of giving in our own lives. And the first thing that we can see is that the harvest in general The harvest is proportional to the seed. You harvest what you sow, right? Any of you ever had good grandparents that told you that? You reap what you sow. Be careful. Normally they weren't talking about money. They were talking about my foolishness, right? You want to disobey me? You want to be an idiot? You want to rebel? You want to walk in foolishness? Be careful. That'll come back to bite you. You're going to reap what you sow. But the law of sowing and reaping isn't just about our foolishness and rebellion against God. It's also about our righteousness and our obedience to God. It's also about our giving. The one who is stingy or sows sparingly, the one who is unnecessarily cautious, that's not to say the one who is conservative in their giving approach. That's not, the one that, that's not to say the one who, who turns a blind eye to their checkbook and just gives whatever. No, no. The, the one who is unnecessarily cautious who is too tight, the one who is stingy in their giving can expect to reap a stingy or smaller harvest. But the one who gives abundantly and bountifully the harvest that he gathers will be proportionately abundant. That's a general proverb. Now this is not a a tried and true categorical promise. That is to say, there are some people who sacrifice greatly to the Lord and they don't end up rich. And there are some people who are stingy to the Lord and yet have great resources at their disposal. This is not to say that everybody it happens the same for everybody every time. It is a general principle, though. That we give freely and God in his mercy responds and gives freely to us. And the one who is generous in their giving, lo and behold, generally has more to give. I think it's just because God knows he can trust that person. That they're going to be conduits of his grace, conduits of his provision. It's an agricultural illustration, which would be easy to understand for the Corinthians. It should be easy to understand for us too. If I went out this spring whenever in seven, eight, nine years, whenever the ground thaws, if I go out this spring and I plant 10 kernels of corn, 
I would be foolish to expect that those 10 kernels of corn will supply the need for my family for a year. I sowed sparingly, I'm going to reap sparingly. But if I sowed generously and abundantly and planted acres of corn, I could expect that with God's help, provision would be mine. You see, that's the way sowing and reaping works. You reap what you sow. You, you don't sow sparingly and, and somehow trick God and Mother Nature into rewarding you with a tremendous harvest. No. Those of you who grew up in farm families know you sow until it hurts. You bet, you bet it all on that harvest in hopes that you'll, you, you, you bet it all on that crop in hopes that you'll receive an abundant harvest. So let's be clear here. He's talking about financial giving, not tulips and daisies. He's talking about financial giving in this passage. And he's saying, Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, if you are abundant in your giving, you can expect an abundant harvest. But if you're stingy and cautious and tight with your giving, you should not expect an abundant harvest. Okay. So if you're somebody, how do we apply that right now? If you're somebody whose hands have to be pried off of your checkbook, like anyone uses a checkbook anymore, but you know what I mean. Some of you, if you're somebody whose fingers have to be pried off of your electronic checkbook, he's talking to you. Be careful. Be cautious. We need to give cheerfully and abundantly and graciously. But if you're someone who's eager and ready to give, then you should expect a return on that investment. The harvest will be proportionate to the seed. The second thing that we see here is our giving is a personal commitment. Each one of the Corinthian believers and each one of us is, is required and is commanded to give as they have decided in their own hearts. Okay, so there's a, there's a big question. Have you asked God what he would have you to give? Not me. Have you gone the extra mile and not simply said, well, that's what the pastor said, or that's what my Sunday school teacher, that's what my small group leader, this is the pattern I've been in for my whole life. Have you spent time seeking God's discernment on what he would have you to give? Because that's where it needs to begin. Not reluctantly. Those, some of you know how you've been given reluctantly before, right? You know, you know what that feels like? And if you have children who reluctantly take out the trash because it's their job or reluctantly clean up their rooms because it's their job or any of you wives has a, have a husband who reluctantly snow blows his driveway because it's his job, right? Uh, it's not, I want to I confession time. I guarantee, I woke up this morning and I was not leaping and skipping with joy to get to the driveway. I did it reluctantly because it was the task that had been assigned to me. There wasn't, there's still, there still is no joy in snow removal for me at all. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Right? I have to listen to worship music while I'm out there just to keep my heart in check because one of these days I'm going to toss that thing into the road. Right? Some of us have seen obedience in action with a reluctant attitude. And those of us who are parents trying to instill in our kid a sense of an industrious nature and a hardworking ethic, we know that that's not what we're after. We're after a glad level of submission and an excited way of approaching, wow, this is my part to play, I'm going to do it with joy because it's, it's my responsibility. Some of us give reluctantly. 
Some of us give in that way. Well, I know my dad says I have to, so fine, I'll do it. And Paul says, look, then don't give. You give what's decided in your heart. Don't do that reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion. Now, here's a good, a good word for those of us in spiritual leadership. The people of God are not to be given under compulsion, and you are not to compel them unnecessarily. The, people, the, the, the shepherds of the people of God need to be cautious with how they lead their church families into giving, not heaping burdens upon burdens on top of them, sharing with them the joy of giving, sharing with them the discipline of giving. But be careful. They are not commanded to give under your compulsion. They're commanded to give under the movement and leadership of God. So you should not give what you have felt unfairly pressured to give. It's a great principle to remind ourselves when we, when, we, when we begin to see giving as a matter of box checking and rule following too. There's a, sometimes we approach giving with like a legalistic mindset. Like, well, as long as I hit that 10% mark, I'm good to go. Check. Well, that, that's true if that's what the Lord has led you to do. But here's, here's the reality of, of our culture and our world that we live in. And the reality of a decent economy. For some of us, the tithe seems insurmountable. Like there's no way we could ever imagine getting to a 10% gift. And so we start with five and we're working towards it. And 10 feels like it's a million miles away. And we're straining for it. And if we see the 10th as a legalistic mark, we're going to set ourselves up for a burden of guilt every time we give. Give and work towards your goal. For some of us, God has provided for our resources so well that a 10% gift, we don't even feel it anymore. And maybe what God is asking of us in this season is a deeper commitment. And if we look at that 10% as the check mark, we roll right past 10% and we don't even stop to think that God doesn't just own 10% of my wealth and give me 90, he owns it all. And he invites me to invest in his kingdom for his purposes, promising that he'll bring a reward. So what, what does all that mean? You follow the Lord's leading. If you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. We can sit down for a cup of coffee and we'll talk it out if that's what you want. I don't want to force anything on anybody. I want you to give freely unto the Lord as he's led you to give. So follow him. I believe a good case can be made for the tithe as the pattern of New Testament giving. And I think you should seek that as a goal. But once you've determined to get there, don't, don't see that as the ceiling. And if the Lord provides for you in deeper ways, find deeper ways to invest. But whatever you do, don't make a vow to the Lord and back out of it. Don't commit in your heart to give something and then find a million other reasons not to. Solomon said, it's better that you didn't make a vow than that you made it and broke it. I mean, remember who you're dealing with. If God leads you, he'll provide. You do what he calls you to do. Thirdly, we also see a principle here that God supplies our needs. The harvest is proportioned to the seed. Giving is a personal commitment, and God supplies our needs. He's able to give you that abundant harvest. So if God leads us to give sacrificially, we don't need to be afraid. 
We can actually be excited because we're looking to see how he's providing. And some of you know that feeling. You've given till it hurts because you knew God called you to do it. And then miraculously, he shows up and does something amazing. And like Pastor Duke says, we look up and go, huh, God knows math. He knows how to meet our needs. He knows what we need to balance our checkbooks. He provides. See, but the riches he provides might not be the way that you're expecting them. We're, we're so secular in the way that we approach this. We, we feel like, well, if I give $100 with interest, God will give me 115 back. No, that, that's not what he promised. He promised he'll return a great harvest, but your harvest might be in good works. He might return to you a harvest of righteousness. He might return to you a harvest of a deeper affection for him. He might return to you a harvest of increased ministry in your congregation. He might return to you more money so that you can give more money away. But he won't return nothing. He's promised he's going to return the harvest. It just might not come in the way that you think it's coming. But he'll supply it. Quick word on that, by the way. If you're entering 2020 and you set a bunch of financial goals and you're seeing this as a quick way to your financial goals, if you're like, whoa, well, I want to make more money, so my plan is I'll give more money to the church and God will give more money back to me. If, if you go into this thing seeking material gain, one commentator says, all you'll harvest is spiritual poverty. That's a good word. If you go into giving to the Lord seeking material gain, your heart's off. All you're going to reap is, is spiritual poverty. This is an act of worship. This is a yielded submission to the beautiful life that God has given us. Giving is, is an act of worship. It's like a worship circle. It's an act of worship on your part. And Paul goes on to tell us it actually results in people's worship. Your giving is an act of faithful obedience to God. And God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God, who doesn't need any of your money. God who has the ability, if he chose, to speak food into existence for poor people. God uses your resources to meet their needs. And do you know what happens in their hearts when he uses your resources to meet their needs? They praise him for meeting their needs. So I get to do a whole lot of really cool things as being a pastor. Some of them are not cool, I'm not going to lie. There are some that I really do not like, but most of them are really fun. And this past year... I got to play Santa Claus to a number of people in our church. And what I mean by that is God moved in some of your hearts and called you to give abundantly and sacrificially and cheerfully until it hurt to somebody else in the congregation. And you asked to do it anonymously. So I got to be the person who knocked on the doors and showed up in total, I think there was over $2,500 worth of gifts that were provided over the course of that season. And I got to show up and stand there and hand people these gifts and see the look on their faces like, wait a minute, what just happened? I got to hear their words of praise to God for what he's done. Your faithful giving didn't result in an attaboy for you from them but it resulted in worship, which is what it's supposed to do. And you know what that does? It causes them to be thankful for you, and it causes them, according to Paul right here, it causes them to pray for you. God, thank you for whoever it was 
that thought enough of our situation to bend over backwards and help. Bless them this season. And talking to the people who gave, they're just so thankful they got to give. They're so thankful that God found a way for them to use their gifts to be a blessing to other people. And talking to the people who received, they're still in tears because God has done this amazing thing. Yeah. When you think of it in terms of a tithe and a checkbox, you're missing out. But when you think of it in terms like that, oh my goodness, the joy of giving opens up to you, doesn't it? So thank you for letting me be Santa Claus. It was a lot of fun. If you want to do that some more, let me know. It's like the best part of what I get to do. So much fun. A couple thoughts here. Basic ideas about tithing, because I mentioned it, and I don't want to just skip over it. Here, here's what I would we'd say about tithing here at Newtown Road. We don't talk about giving all that much, but when we do, we should handle it appropriately. First, I, I think if you, looked, if you took an honest look at the Old Testament, the pattern of the tithe was pretty clear. A tithe means a tenth of your first fruits, right? That's, that's the pattern we see in the Old Testament. The New Testament does not command the tithe, but it doesn't lay it aside either, if we're honest. You won't find a place in the New Testament that says, thou shalt give a tithe of your increase. But you won't find any place in the New Testament where it says, hey, you're off the hook. But in fact, what the New Testament does do is replace the burden of the 10% with the joy of generous and cheerful giving. So rather than feeling like you're off the hook at 10, the New Testament would lead us to seek God's discernment and direction and then give cheerfully unto him to meet the needs. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul seems to indicate a, a repeated, like a consistent, um, regular, proportionate giving that was taken up in the local assembly. It seems to be that that was the pattern of the early church. I think the New Testament, I think it's a safe assessment to think that the New Testament believers adopted the pattern of a tithe because they were coming out of Judaism and probably added to that over time as the Lord led them to do. I think it would be wise of us to seek a tithe as, an, as a goal. And then once the Lord enables and empowers that, to seek what's next. That's my, uh, that's my take on it. That's how we've been teaching it for a long time. And God has been good to us ever, ever since we have. So about our challenge. That's what the Bible says about giving. Here's what we're, we're asking of you. We're asking you to consider giving an extra $20 a month and not to go all Sally Struthers on you, but that's less than the cost of a cup of coffee a day, right? It, that's something we can all do. That's, that's a bite-sized goal. We can hit that goal. We probably spend more, on, more than that at McDonald's a week. And don't, don't look at me like you don't eat at McDonald's. You all eat it. They're, they're serving billions of people. Somebody's eating their hamburgers, right? Even you vegan people eat McDonald's sometimes. I know. All right. You spend more than that at McDonald's every week, right? 20 bucks a month, we can do this. $20 a month. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to work to obey this passage. We're going to work to give $20 extra each month above our normal giving. We want to give it cheerfully and abundantly. And I mentioned earlier, we have needs around here. And we could easily say to our church family, hey, there's, we need a new roof. We're looking at a new parking lot. Those are sizable uh, costs. We're trying to spread them out, trying to be wise and discerning about this. But we're going to put this passage into practice. We're going to look for ways first to minister in our community. And we'll trust that God beyond that meets our needs as he supplies. So the first 20,000 that comes in through this 
this uh, campaign, we're going to apply to organizations and ministries in the community that we want to be a blessing to. And anything that comes in, in this campaign beyond that, we will apply to the needs that we have here. All the while, our elders are looking to make sure that we're going to do all that we can to establish a stronger financial footing over the next couple years. We don't want to be in a situation like we were in last year where we had a busted elevator and we were like using pulleys to pull you guys up and down the shaft. We only did that once and we're sorry for those of you who got stuck. We don't want to be in that situation again. We're going to try to do this a little differently. So we're asking you to join us in this. How can you give to that challenge? I am so glad you asked that question. And the answer is really simple. You can give the way you're currently giving. So if you are currently giving through our website or you're currently giving through our church center app, you simply choose 20 fund from the drop-down list that you're using. So if you're logging on, click the drop-down list, and you can give that way. If you prefer to give cash or a check, some of you still write checks, four of you, thank you for that, or you give electronically through your bank's bill pay method, it's easy to do that too. So here's what we need to know. We just need to know the specifics of what portion of that gift you want to go to the 20 fund. So on the memo line of your check, or in the note on your electronic bill pay option, or on the envelope you submit your cash to, just tell us how much needs to go to the 20 fund. If not, it might get put into the general giving, and we won't be able to track that as well. So we're trying to do this the best we can, but we need your help just to designate for us which percentage and portion of your gift is supposed to go to that 20 fund. If you have any questions, please talk to Michael, our business administrator, not me or Tyler, all right? Because uh, the two of us sometimes struggle with the systems. We're really good at the big picture. Uh, but you need to talk to Michael Fitzsimmons, our business administrator. He can help you figure out how to work your phone. Um, because I'm an old man, and I need his help to do that. So, and I, yeah, you, you scoff at me, Dave, but la literally, last Sunday before the service, there were three of them gathered around my phone trying to help me figure it out. I have never felt older in all my life. So thank you for that. We're also, here's another way you can get involved. Asking each family, each person to consider $20 extra a month. By conservative estimates, if we do this, we could hit somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000 extra this year. It's a significant investment in our community and in our congregation and the needs we have here. All right. We need your help, though. We need to know where this money's going to go. So we want to hear from you what are the organizations and ministries that you know of that are doing a good work in your community that you think might be an option for us to give to? And so this morning, on your communication card, we would really like to have those, that information. So if you volunteer at the pregnancy center, the crisis pregnancy center, you think that would be a great way, write that down and let us know. Maybe you volunteer at the food pantry and you think they could use some help, let us know. Maybe it's something entirely off the wall that we're not even thinking about, let us know. Maybe you fund a church plant down in Albany, like Engage Albany, that Sean Nolan is planting, and you think it'd be great to come alongside them for a season and help. Let us know. Take your communication card, write on it a suggestion of a local ministry that we could partner with and invest in this year, and turn that in as we uh, receive the offering today. And we'll review those, and we'll try to see if there's a trend. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll find some, some good new partners to work with, and maybe a way to bless some of our consistent partners already. Guys, I'm really excited about this year. 
and excited about what God's going to do. As he stretches us in our giving, as we get to see our giving make a difference in the community, and as, as we're trusting him to, to come behind that and provide for us in ways we never thought possible. All right, so what? What does all that mean for you today? I just spent 31 minutes and 15 seconds talking about money. What does that mean for you today? I'm so glad you asked. Number one, this matter of giving is a matter of our hearts. Jesus himself did tell us that, right? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And our giving speaks to our convictions and our beliefs. We were meeting with the discovery class yesterday morning, and we made this statement that your checkbook will tell you where your heart is. It'll let you know what are you investing most in. It'll tell you where your priorities lie. So we, we say that typically kind of in a warning way, right? Like a, a cautious way, like be careful where you're spending your money. But the converse is also true. Because where you give reflects on your theology. What you invest your resources in in the Christian kingdom reflects what you believe about the Christian kingdom. So for instance... When we give our money to evangelistic ministries, to missionaries and church planters, we are expressing our belief and our conviction that the gospel is true and is powerful and we want everybody to hear it. And when you sacrifice greatly to fund a ministry like that, you are sowing a seed in faith that the gospel will reach people the same way it reached you. And when you give to humanitarian organizations, you are expressing a belief that men and women, boys and girls, regardless of where they come from geographically, are created in the image of God. And they possess a certain dignity and sanctity to their existence. And it would be un, or inappropriate for them to be forced to live in conditions that actually tarnish the image of God in them. So if you are giving cheerfully and sacrificially to see people released from sex trafficking, to see the poverty-stricken lifted from their burden, you are doing so with a conviction that because the image of God is in mankind, we should honor that image by treating them with dignity and caring for them. You're not just giving to scratch an itch. Some people out there might, but I know you people. You're giving sacrificially because these things are close to your heart and you believe this stuff. Consequently, it is, it is really popular in... Now I'm really going to sound like an old man. I'm sorry. It's popular among a, a, the millennial generation to, to have a stronger tie to where their funds are going. And so they get real excited. And some of us older folks are doing this too. We get real excited about these ministries because we can see where it's going. But when you give cheerfully and faithfully to your local church, you're saying something too. And what you're saying when you give abundantly and sacrificially to your local church is you're expressing that you believe that the church is the centerpiece of God's redemptive plan on earth. And you're saying that it is in the local church that those believers who started those ministries were discipled and encouraged and sent out. 
And it is in the local church that the next generation of pastors and missionaries are being raised up. And it is in the local church that members are being encouraged and built up and mobilized to reach their neighbors with the gospel and to fill the food pantries and to serve in the sex trafficking uh, rescue missions. The local church is the centerpiece of God's redemptive activity in the world. And when we give stingily to it, we're expressing a heart belief that is not in line with the scriptures. But when we give cheerfully to it, we are in line with God's plan. And that's not just our, our finances. That's our prayer support. That's our love and affection for one another. That's our getting our hands dirty, serving one another. That's using our gifts in ministering to one another. That's not just finances. When we build our lives around the local church, we are expressing a belief that God is working in the world through the local church. I encourage you, to consider that as you plan for your giving. The point is this, giving is a matter of our hearts. Where we give, how we give, expresses heart beliefs. Let us make sure that our heart beliefs are in line with the truth of the scriptures. And let's give cheerfully with everything we've got. Some of you know this firsthand. This is like the difference between being a parent and a grandparent at Christmas. Right? Because... When you're a parent raising little kids, you're scrimping and saving with everything you got. And then something happens when you become a grandparent. You lose your stinking minds, right? And you're like, well, listen, we don't have to pay for college and all of our weddings are paid for. Let's drop six grand on Christmas. Why not? And you fill a home with beeping, moving electronics. And you bless your kids and your grandkids and you go all in. You go so abundant, so generous. And in the end, you know what? You don't get that in return. You don't, you don't do that so your kids will take care of you one day. You don't try to buy their affection. You do it for the joy of giving the gift. And watching you smile and laugh and cackle at us while we fight with the batteries on these things, although it's annoying at first, it produces joy in us. The same is true when we give in the church. When we give cheerfully, sacrificially, and abundantly that way, It just produces more joy in us. So let's do that. The second point I want to bring out today, we are givers because God is a giver. We give because he gives. It is like him to give. If we're going to walk in his way, we're going to give. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. James tells us that every good gift you have is from him. There is nothing you own that you can boast and lay claim to. That's a hard lesson to learn, but it's a good one. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, why are you boasting of any gift you have? You didn't do any of it. All you have is a gift from God. So when it comes to our finances, shame on us if we we wrap our arms around that 90% hoard it and say, nope, God, you can't have this. God is shaking his head going, oh, buddy, listen. That's mine too. That house you live in, that's mine. That car you drive, that's mine too. Those children that you're raising, guess what, son? Those are mine as well. All your resources, every good and perfect thing you have in your life is from him. So we give because God gives. And he's a generous giver. And we want to match that. Thirdly, 
point of application today. So what, will you join us in our challenge this year? Will you make it a point over the next 12 months to try to give $20 extra each month? Will you join us in, in helping to identify which of these organizations we can help? Will you partner with us in faith, believing that God will both bless the communities around us and bless our community of faith right here? I'm no prophet, but I, that, that's what I'm predicting is going to happen. That God is going to open up the doors of generosity in our hearts in ways we've never seen before. He's going to pry loose our fingers from our own resources because we're so excited to give and be part of this. And then miraculously, he's going to come in behind that and provide for all of our needs in ways we never knew were possible. And I wish I could tell you the stories of how he's already doing it. But he's already doing it. Behind the scenes, before we're even announcing this challenge, God is already working behind the scenes to provide for our needs so we can make this work. Will you join us? 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. $20 extra each month. Next week we talk about 20 people in your life that you can pray for and engage in the gospel and invite to come with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your teaching, for your word. Thank you, God, that you have given us every good thing that we have. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we look at our lives and we, we act like it's ours. Forgive us for the way we hold too tightly to the things of this world. God, I pray that you would pry our hands free from those things. That you would help us to find the joy of giving. That your Holy Spirit would empower this congregation. Lord, make 2020 the most generous year we've ever known. Help us, God, to find ways to bless our neighbors in need, to bless the church family, to bless missionaries and evangelists and humanitarian organizations around the world. Help us, God, to lift the burdens of those in need because of what you've given to us. Mobilize us, Lord, we pray. And Lord, as we do it, I pray that you would provide for us. You always have. You have never stopped. Even when it got darkest, even when it felt leanest, Lord, you have still provided in everything. Lord, we pray that you continue to do that. Continue to provide for us. Continue to meet our needs. Continue to build us up and strengthen our discipline of giving. God, we want to be known as a church that's generous. So supply for us the needs. Encourage us to give. And Lord, help it lead to righteousness and worship on the other end. In Jesus' name we pray.